Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can listen to us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Thursday. It's April 27th. And, Bob, the day has finally come. The first round of the NFL draft is here. Mock season. We just have a few more hours to go. I know you're pretty excited about that. <laughs> yes. Uh, not exactly the biggest fan of mock drafts, even though uh, Eric Edholm, our friend uh, over the years now with NFL Media, and he's their lead uh, you know, draft analyst. He joined me in the first hour during the Sports Zone, and <clears throat> excuse me, has the, the Cardinals making a trade in his mock draft, uh, trading down to number seven, and uh, uh, the Raiders taking C.J. Stroud with the third pick, and the Cardinals moving down to seven and taking uh, Gonzalez, the cornerback, who was at Colorado for a few years and ended up at Oregon last year. Uh, you know, finally, the Cardinals take a cornerback, so I, w- I would be I would be in favor of that, considering I've been screaming them for them to take a cornerback seemingly for like half a decade. Well, uh, I've seen that trade a couple of different times, especially the one with the Raiders. I also have another one that came from Daniel Jeremiah. We'll get into that a little bit later on as well, because it's a little eye popping. It's a it's a little interesting. So we'll dive into much more surrounding the NFL draft here as well. But as we typically do, let's get things started with our poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Should the Cardinals trade the third pick of tonight's NFL draft? Yes and no are the options. Yes, leading the way at 71% of the vote, no trailing at 29%. Yeah, I think that, you know, certainly we've asked this question from time to time, really for what, the last two or three months. And uh, so last time around for this, and I don't think it's any, uh, you, know, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I don't think it's, it does anybody any good for me to, you know, basically hide my answer for another, you know, I, I told everybody like three months ago what they should do. Uh, you know, they should trade down and get as many picks as humanly possible because uh, there's not one player in this draft that is going to really have an immediate impact on this organization next year. Maybe uh, in the future, uh, you know, as far as you know, long term, but you know, certainly I don't think it really matters who they pick uh, tonight, tomorrow, or Saturday. Uh, you know, even collectively, I don't think that those guys are going to have an impact that really prevents the Cardinals from being one of the worst teams in the NFL in 2023. Over on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060, the next poll question, are the Panthers making the right decision by selecting Bryce Young with tonight's first pick? Uh, yes, leading the way at 77.8% of the vote, no trailing at 22.2%. And for several weeks now, this has been the prevailing thought, Bryce Young, number one tonight. Well, especially last week, you know, I'm not sure it was a overwhelming uh, thought process until last week, and when Young basically had three or four visits uh, visits still scheduled, you know, the Lions and and also uh, yeah the Colts and so forth, and yeah, when he you know, not just you know, he didn't postpone these meetings, he canceled them 
Uh, usually if that happens, it's because you have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen to you and considering the draft order. Yeah, he's been – it would be a shock if he weren't number one tonight. And the belief is he's been told he's number one to the Panthers. We'll take your calls around 1030 and 1115. The number is always 602-260-1060 to get involved. Around 1015, we'll step aside to the KDOS hotline and we'll be joined by Zach Cram from The Ringer to talk NBA playoffs. We'll do that around 1015. I had a couple of NFL notes here, but I actually want to start with because I'm still just amazed and I guess buzzing about it. Jimmy Butler, holy smokes. So he has his incredible performance a couple of nights ago and then last night goes into Milwaukee and uh, does it yet again the team contributed as well as they topped the Bucks 128 to 126 in overtime to send Milwaukee as the number one seed and the best uh, team with the best record in the NBA home uh, but Jimmy Butler how, how can you put into words what he's doing well, I'll just say it this way. You know, I've been watching the NBA playoffs uh, sometimes. You know, I don't know. I'm not real sure when I became you know, at least what I would consider you know, an intelligent NBA viewer or watcher. But, you know, since the 60s, I've been paying attention. And I don't and, – and I lived in Chicago during the second, you know, three, you know, three championships with Jordan. I was working and living in Chicago then. And I don't remember any series that he even played that he just dominated the series. And considering everything else going on with the Heat, they were an eight seed. They lost two of their top six rotation players during this series for you know, for long-term injuries. Uh, he, he just he basically single-handedly, as much as you can for one player in the NBA, eliminated the top seed in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, not having some of the scoring, uh, which they're obviously not a team that scores a lot of buckets anyway uh, during the regular season, making me look bad when I was questioning, well, haven't the Heat kind of just shown us enough of who they are at this point in time? Uh, but Jimmy Butler turns into a whole other player when it comes playoff time. I will say this, though. It was a little head-scratching. The final possession to send the game into overtime with Jimmy Butler and the the putback there it was a great inbounds pass for one but for two why was there not rim protection why was Pat Connaughton in that situation well you and Giannis are asking the same thing so he kind of uh I don't know if he went wild in the post-game press conference you know he wasn't you know like pounding the uh, podium or anything but you know he's pretty pissed off about that also is it the, a situation now for, for Mike Budenholzer where we had kind of been questioning some of his in-game decisions, then they go and they win an NBA Finals, and so those in-game decisions uh, were no longer questioned because you have the pedigree of, of winning a championship, but do those questions garner some sort of conversation this offseason? I doubt it because you just signed him into a long-term contract within the last two years, so I would be pretty surprised if that happened. Uh, I'm not really familiar. You know, they changed owners a couple of years ago, so I'm not really familiar with the situation there as far as you know what the, the new uh, whoever's in charge now actually prefers and whether he's like George Steinbrenner Jr. or however that works. I got no idea. I would be stunned uh, if uh, he is fired as a result. I don't think he coached particularly well. And then again, uh, as I've mentioned for literally years now, 
Uh, almost everybody, almost everybody that faces the Miami Heat in a playoff series is going to get out coached by Eric Spolstra. Even if you're one of the elite coaches in the NBA, you're probably going to get out coached to some extent by Eric Spolstra, and uh, that certainly happened in this series. And even the last possession, you mentioned, and I don't disagree with you about the rim protection thing, but you know they actually Spolstra had a different play called, and uh, you know Butler basically vetoed that and came up with an idea for. You know, the, what turned out to be the, you know, the screen. And that was a tremendous pass, by the way, on that play, too. Uh, kind of like not quite up to the level of the Grant Hill pass uh, for, you know, Duke against uh, you know, Duke against Kentucky. The, the Grant Hill pass to Leitner, not quite that length. And uh, yeah, I guess it's pretty close to the same level of drama, though. But uh, anyway, but uh, the fact that, you know, he was, you know, he has enough, you know, gumption or whatever the right word is, because that's not the right word, but whatever, you know, to change the original play call at the suggestion of, granted, his best player, by far his best player at this point. Uh, that says something about, I guess, uh, you know, uh, coaches, uh, you know, his, you know, just his approach to things. Uh, we'll get into much more around the NBA as we joined, uh, we'll be joined by Zach Cram from The Ringer around 10.15. A couple of things that caught my attention in the world of the NFL from overnight. Jaguars left tackle Cam Robinson is facing a multi-game suspension for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. Uh, depending upon how many games it's going to be, it will cost him $888,888 a game. Robinson did start 14 games at left tackle in 2022 and then Walker Little which was uh, the second round selection from 2022 got the other five games as Robinson was dealing with a meniscus injury they uh, signed Cam Robinson though to a long-term deal last offseason this probably isn't great what you want to know heading into draft night though well I guess you do you know what the situation is now I mean it's probably better now than a week from now uh, so you can maybe do something about it. I doubt it. Not exactly the best offensive line crop in this particular draft. And, you know, I know that, you know, Paris Johnson, supposedly the first tackle off the board. And I am far, far, far from convinced I'm an Ohio State fan. I think that he's more likely a right tackle the majority of his NFL career. I'm not 100% sure about that because he didn't play. He only played one year full-time at left tackle at Ohio State. You know, he was moved around a lot of the offensive line. They had some other guys that have gone on to the NFL the last couple of years that, uh, you know, they're all together at one point. So they just didn't uh, feel that they uh, needed to make him a left tackle right off the bat. And that's probably the right thing to do at the college level. But, you know, it's uh, I don't know who they go out and get. You know, Cam Robinson has been a uh, – Hot, hot button topic in Jacksonville over the years. There was actually a lot of surprise when they actually franchise tagged him a couple years ago. He had a couple of not so great years before that. And, uh, you know, but, you know, I think by all accounts, you know, last year when he was healthy, he played really well. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure that uh, not what they were hoping and uh, not what you would expect from somebody that they put such a large invest in, investment into as far as, you know, originally draft capital and now long-term contract status. 
The other thing that caught my attention coming from the Washington commander side of things is that they did not pick up Chase Young's fifth-year option. Uh, they picked up Montez Sweat's fifth-year option last offseason, and uh, both will be set to enter free agency since Young's option did not get picked up. Sweat, if they do not get a long-term deal done with him, so they could both be entering free agency uh, this coming season. Young, though, of course, tore his ACL in November of 2021, ruptured his patellar tendon as well. He he returned for three games last year, five tackles, one quarterback hit, and no sacks. I'm kind of baffled as to why this is surprising. Uh, you just mentioned the injury history. Also, there was lots of talk around the league last year, some of which we mentioned on this show. I mean, how many Fridays did we wonder we were previewing the games for the weekend whether, well, is this the week that Chase Young is going to return? Because it supposedly was going to be, and then it wasn't. So, yeah, I, I, I would be actually really surprised had they picked up the fifth-year option on this contract at this point. And uh, it seemed like there was shock around the league yesterday when he didn't when they didn't do that. This, you know, the Redskins or the Commanders or the Washington football team or whatever we're supposed to call them this week, they've done some dumbass things over the years, you know, whether it be on the field or obviously off the field. This is actually a really smart decision, in my opinion. The only other thing as well from a Cardinals perspective, fifth-year option watch, Isaiah Simmons. So far, his fifth-year option has not been picked up. The deadline for all of this is Monday. If it were to be picked up, he would be guaranteed $12.7 million. Simmons was at the facility, but he was not on the field practicing yesterday in the open portion to the media. You, of course, as well have Simmons. You have Zaven Collins, and then the team did bring in Kaiser White, uh, Linebacker position has some experience playing with the Eagles under Jonathan Gannon. On the other side of the break, we will head on out to the KDOS hotline, talk with Zach Cram from the Ringer NBA playoffs. We have some Eastern Conference matchups set. We have some Western Conference matchups that still have yet to be decided. And we know the Suns and the Nuggets square off on Saturday. We'll catch up with Zach next. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KTUS 1060 app. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Powered by Superbook Sports, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline to have an NBA and NBA playoffs conversation. Zach Cram with The Ringer is joining us. Zach, it's Kayla and Bob. How are you doing today? All right. How are you? We're doing fantastic here. Plenty to get into into with you, Zach, around the NBA playoffs with teams advancing, teams still playing it out in the first round. But I have to start with the Bucks and the Heat. Jimmy Butler, a 42-point performance last night, including the game-tying bucket with seconds remaining. The Heat lost Tyler Hero in this series, Victor Oladipo, and yet Jimmy Butler turned into Jimmy Buckets, ousting the top-seeded team in the East. So how much of this is Jimmy Butler just going off? How much of this is also injuries to the the Bucks and how much of it is some questionable in-game coaching by Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer? I think this game ended what 12, 13 hours ago, and I'm still reeling. Not because the Bucks lost the series necessarily; Miami was favored once it was three to one, but because of how it happened. Just Game Five serving as a microcosm of everything that has gone wrong for the Bucks 
during their playoff defeats over the last few years, whether it was Giannis missing free throws at the wrong times or the half-court offense evolving or just a lack of adjustments to guard Butler on defense. But I think this has to start with Miami. Uh, Jimmy Butler was obviously incredible in both Game 4 and Game 5 as he adds to his playoff legend. And also just the way Miami shot for the series, the Heat were not a good team in the regular season, and that was because of their offense. They ranked 27th in three-point percentage. And their best three-point shooter was Tyler Hero. So you would think they would be even worse in the playoffs, and yet as a team, they were at 45% from three for the series. That's basically an entire team turning into peak Steph Curry. And from that perspective, like, yeah, Miami's going to advance if it makes half its three-pointers. Seems like the Bucks. you know, obviously they won a championship a couple years ago when they beat the Suns, but every year they get eliminated, whenever that might be, we're questioning their defensive strategy. Do they need to just change what they're doing there defensively? It's kind of odd. I do wonder how much Giannis Antetokounmpo's health played a role in the fact that, as he said after the game last night, he wished he had guarded Jimmy Butler more, but he obviously wasn't put on him very much. Miami beat the Bucks in the 2020 bubble, and then they did adjust in 2021. They played Miami in the first round, and they won pretty easily. It was a sweep, and Giannis guarded Butler for a lot of that series. So it almost seems like it's less about making adjustments and just making adjustments way too slowly. There was also that issue when Giannis didn't guard Kawhi Leonard in 2019 uh, when Toronto eliminated the Bucks from the conference finals. So I think you're right that adjustments need to be made, but it, it's almost about doing those adjustments quicker, not waiting until you fall down three games to one or even get eliminated entirely and have to do it the next year. It's okay. We're down at halftime. We need to make this adjustment right now. And they just seem a little too rigid, a little too inflexible to be able to make those changes on the fly. Another one for you on the Bucks here. What decisions have to be made in the offseason? You traded for Jay Crowder at the deadline, and that really didn't work out. Uh, you're paying top dollar for Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. There's still uh, you know, some questions there about who's coming back, right? Yeah, so Brooke Lopez is a free agent, and he's obviously a huge part of that team. He was second in Defensive Player of the Year voting this year and really provided offensive support as well as we saw over these last few games against Miami. Chris Middleton also has a $40 million player option. So my best guess is they'll just bring both of those two guys back, run it back with the same core with Giannis, Holiday, Middleton, and Lopez, and have to figure out what to do with the rest of the rotation. Because that was one of the downfalls this year. The Jay Crowder trade, as we mentioned, did not work out. Last year, they traded for Serge Ibaka, who basically was a non-factor in the playoffs. So some of their swings outside the core four have really been a mistake, and they don't have the draft capital to make it up with young guys. They are a team almost entirely of veterans. Giannis, incidentally, is one of the youngest rotation players on this team because they've traded all their picks. And that worked out, right? They got through Holiday, who won them a title, but they're still out picks for the next four years. They have very little uh, in the way of you know draft cap capital to trade for veterans right now. And also with the new CBA that's coming into effect, I don't think this has been totally grasped yet, but it makes it harder for teams in the Bucks situation over the luxury tax to be able to add players at the margins. So they're really going to be up against it in terms of rounding out the group around this top four. The Suns and Nuggets uh, begin their uh, Western Conference semifinal on Saturday night. These two teams play completely differently. How do you see that series going? It's funny you say that. They play completely differently, but almost get to the same place where both teams are just yeah. incredible offensively and have 
what I assume is going to be a lot of difficulty guarding the other. I think we've seen that a bit with Sacramento versus Golden State in the first round, where it seems like every game is going into the 120s. And I could see that happening with Denver versus Phoenix as well, because if you look at even what happened with Phoenix in their first round series, they scored like bonkers, but they also had trouble slowing down the Clippers, even though Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were out. So I could see a lot of really high-scoring games and just questions of, okay, Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell-Pope are very good defensive players. Are they up to the task of guarding Devin Booker and Kevin Durant for 40 minutes tonight? And on the other end, is DeAndre Ayton up to guarding Nicole Jokic, who guards Jamal Murray, who takes Michael Porter Jr. after Kawhi Leonard shredded uh, the Suns' wing defenders for a couple games before he got hurt? So I think there are just a lot of questions about, can either team actually stop the other one? Zach Cram from The Ringer right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. Along those lines, put you in the, the coaching situation. Uh, how do you see them trying to attack Jokic because of some of those other uh, perimeter options that the Nuggets do have? What decisions will the Suns have to make on the defensive end, and what do you think would work best? So I think that they'll probably start with just DeAndre Ayton guards Jokic and see if he can hold up without having to send too many double teams because that's when Denver really gets you in trouble. If you have to guard Jokic with more than one player, he's probably the best passing big man of all time, so he'll just shred you finding open three-point shooters around the perimeter. The Nuggets, starting five this year, scored like one of the best units in the league, specifically because of that ability. I also think that Phoenix's lack of depth could hurt them here. We saw in the first round how many minutes that Booker and Durant specifically had to play, and... It was good that they only needed five games to win, but Denver also only needed five games to win, and their stars have a lot less uh, you know, tread on their tires right now. So I could see that becoming a factor, especially in Denver's altitude, especially as we get into the back half of the series when it's just game, uh, game day off, game day off. There aren't too many long breaks in this series after games two to three. So I think that could be a factor as well if it goes long. I think the Suns' best chance, or maybe you disagree with this if you'd like, no problem, but uh, I think the Suns' best chance of, quote, slowing down Jokic is just put him in screen rolls, and the Suns are great at that, including, surprisingly, at least to me, you know, Durant and Ayton have an amazing rapport in screen roll situations. So, you know, just put Jokic in screen rolls and, you know, run them all over the floor defensively. Yeah, that's true. You might not be able to slow Jokic down, but you could get as many points back on the other end. And I think what makes Phoenix such a fascinating playoff team is the modern NBA is all about three-pointers and layups, right? But Phoenix, in its first-round series against the Clippers, took more than half of its shots from mid-range. They ranked at the bottom of the league or the bottom of the first-round teams in shots at the rim and the bottom of the first-round teams in shots from the three-point line. But their offense was still incredible because they have Durant and Booker and Chris Paul, who are three of the best mid-range shooters in the league, if not the three best mid-range shooters in the league. So when modern defenses are primed to say, go take those mid-range shots, those aren't high-efficient looks. Well, for the Suns, they actually are, and that's how they beat Jokic a few years ago. Granted, that was a different Denver team. They were marred by injuries. But I think that same strategy makes me wonder – does Denver have any adjustments? Because if you look at what happened a couple years ago when Jokic dropped on defense, he just let you know Chris Paul and Devin Booker walk into mid-range shots that were open, and those are going to go in. Add Kevin Durant to that mix, and that's an extra player who can make that happen as well. 
Zach Cram from The Ringer right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. I'm going to toss this over to the Eastern Conference. We have uh, the Knicks eliminating the Cavs. Jalen Brunson, 23 points. R.J. Barrett found his offensive game with 21 points in the elimination contest. Should we have seen this coming from the Knicks? I think they were a very regular, a very good regular season team. I think the offense in particular was surprising. They were a top five offensive unit all year long, which is not what we expect from a Tom Thibodeau group, but combine that offense with their ability to buckle down defensively once Mitchell Robinson came back and once they traded for Josh Hart. And I think they're just a legitimately very good two-way team. I was still surprised that they only needed five games to dispatch the Cavaliers. I thought that series was destined to go seven, so they proved me wrong there. But I think this team just has a really solid core with Brunson and Hart and Robinson, just a lot of good two-way players who do the little things right. And especially with Milwaukee going down now, they have a potentially easy path to the conference finals. So I, I'm sure you know you saw the videos of Madison Square Garden and how excited those Knicks fans are. But this is the best Knicks team in the 21st century, I think, and it might not even be that close. I want to go back to the West. Warriors and Kings, I think it's been the most fun series so far. The Draymond Green scoring bonanza last night. I know that was certainly surprising. The Kings, they lose at home. Now they have to go back to San Francisco and play the Warriors. Is this series over, so to speak? I don't think it's over. I think all it takes is, you know, one hot shooting night from Sacramento to send it back to Game 7. And we're kind of waiting for that. Sacramento, as a team, is really good on three-pointers this season. But they've disappeared in the playoffs, particularly looking at someone like Kevin Herter who is one of the best shooters in the league this season and hasn't found a stroke yet in the playoffs. But even in games three and four, when Golden State was at home, where they're so good this year, when they have the playoff experience at an advantage, in game four, Harrison Barnes was one shot away from clinching that for Sacramento. So I think it's premature to say it's over entirely, but is Golden State favored now? Of course. Zach Cram from The Ringer right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. The Grizzlies took care of business at home last night, topping the Lakers 116-99. to Anthony Davis, he did bounce back, and he went off for 31 points and 19 rebounds. LeBron struggled 15 points. Now that we're sitting here uh, with some momentum back for the Grizzlies, but coming back to L.A., can the Lakers fend off this Grizzlies team from making a comeback? I think the key for the Lakers right now is their perimeter defense. They were shredded by Desmond Bain and John Morant last night. And obviously, Morant is going to give anyone trouble, but when both of those guys are on the court, and specifically sharing with Luke Kennard, Memphis is really hard to beat because they have Morant with the ability to drive, and then Bain and Kennard the ability to space the floor. The, the game was really close up until late in the third quarter yesterday, and then they put in Luke Kennard for Dylan Brooks, who the Lakers are happy to leave wide, wide, wide open, and all of a sudden, Memphis went on like a 19-1 to run. So Kennard left the game early. Uh, it seems he had a, a shoulder bump. I, I think his absence, even though he's a bench player, would be really bad for Memphis if he can't go in game six. So that's the key that I'm looking for over the next 24 hours. Can Kennard come back and, and you know return from his shoulder injury? Because if he does, then he gives Memphis the offensive firepower they need to keep up with L.A. Uh, in Los Angeles. But if Kennard can't go, I don't know if Memphis has the perimeter weapons to make L.A. pay. I'm totally with you on that Canard thing. I actually mentioned that earlier uh, this morning. So, you know, kind of an overlooked thing that happened in that game last night, but not to us because we're smart people. <laughs> All right. One other, one quick thing for tonight. I mean, the Celtics and the Hawks, you know, how surprised are you that there's actually a game six? 
And as uh, the Celtics losing the last two, three, two of the last three games, reason for concern or no big deal? See, if I hadn't watched the Heat come back against the Bucks last night, I would have said the Celtics lost the other night, which was the most alarming the playoffs so far. Now, obviously, what the Bucks did is worse now in retrospect. But yeah, that was alarming. I think the bigger, like the bigger picture concern, more than just one game where Trey Young hits a thirty footer to win, is what that says about the Celtics' rotation decisions and their coaching strategy. Because Derek White, I think, has been their third best player this season. You have Tatum and Brown, who are both going to make All NBA teams. But I think White has ascended the pecking order. He played better than Marcus Smart this year, even though Smart is the reigning defensive player of the year winner. He played better than any of the Celtics' big men. And yet, down the stretch in Game 5, the Celtics put Smart back in, sent White to the bench, and played with two big men. I don't think that's the strategy Boston needs if it's going to go far in the playoffs. Especially with Milwaukee out, I would still say the Celtics are my championship favorites at this point. I just think they have the best 2A team, and they have you know, home court advantage for the rest of the playoffs now, but they need to get it done tonight because you don't want to go to a game seven where all of a sudden one spooky shooting night sends you home. They need to get it done right now. Zach, this has been fantastic. Look forward to doing it again as the playoffs continue on. Thank you. Thanks so much. Have a great afternoon. You as well. Once again, he is Zach Cram with the ringer uh, talking all things NBA playoffs. Yeah. The Celtics though, you don't want to get yourself into a situation with what's just happened to the Milwaukee Bucks. Celtics win tonight. Settle down, people. Boston fans are in a panic, so get over it. Everything's okay. Boston fans are always in a panic. That would be true. Well, they had a lot of reasons. Here. Other, well, Not the Celtics fans, but, you know, the Red Sox didn't win a championship for 100 years. So then they won like three and or four, and I've lost track how many they've won now since like you know 2006 or whatever it was. So you know once they got over that, but you know Boston fans are big Red Sox you know, baseball town, so I think that's the reason for their panic in many ways. I also heard the Patriots have won some championships in recent years. They have, but how's the state of that team right now? They're going to trade Mac Jones tonight, huh? <laughs> Supposedly. We'll see. Your call's next. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. To extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. Thanks to Zach Cram from The Ringer for joining us in the previous segment, chatting all things NBA playoffs and kind of setting the scene as well for the Suns and the Nuggets contest that gets underway on Saturday. If you missed any of the conversation, podcast over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's your turn if you'd like to join the program, NFL draft conversation, NBA playoffs, MLB, you name it. 602-260-1060 is the number to join the program. 602-260-1060. I have to mention this here, Bob. I I know that we're heavy NBA. I know we're heavy NFL draft and we'll certainly get into a lot more of that, but it has has to be recognized the Diamondbacks in a getaway afternoon game yesterday beat the Royals 2-0. Zach Gallen, six and a third innings, four hits, 12 strikeouts. This now has him up to 28 straight scoreless innings. 
And this little stat from OptiStats, he is the only MLB pitcher in the modern era to have a four-start span with 40-plus strikeouts, no runs allowed, and a whip under 0.50. He's been really good, even better than I think he is. And you know, I thought highly of him when he was at Florida, every, even before he got traded here. Uh, you know, they had a very disappointing homestand, obviously, uh, going three and four. And, you know, two of those games or two of those wins against uh, last place uh, Kansas City. And, and I'm, you know, Colorado's not good, but they have to play now play the next three games in, uh, in Coors Field. And as I mentioned yesterday on the show, I mean, there, there, there is a, you know, this pitching staff is not good. And in fact, it is woeful. Uh, other than when Gallon pitches, you know, Merrill Kelly's turned into a base on balls machine, uh, and he hasn't looked good at all, in my opinion. And I'm tired of the World Baseball Classic excuse that doesn't fly now. That thing's that, that thing's been over for over a month. That was a long time ago. Uh, so the fact that he's you know, not pitching well, uh, that, that excuse doesn't fly anymore. Maybe it did at the start of the season. I mentioned it at the start of the season, but we're way past that. You know, I was actually a little worried with what I saw from Merrill Kelly in the World Baseball Classic. Those weren't great performances. I know that they were able to win some of his starts. They lost one of them, but uh, I was a little bit concerned. I know you told me to kind of calm down on that concern level, but you're right. It hasn't gone off to a great start yet so far for him with the Diamondbacks. Well, I think the deal with the World Baseball Classic is the fact that the Team USA, they didn't. the reason they didn't win the World Baseball Classic is they didn't have any starting pitchers. And the fact that he had to be one of their starting pitchers, uh, he's a nice you know, you know, third, fourth starter on a Major League Baseball team during the regular season. But the fact that he's like re- representing Team USA in the World Baseball Classic is they got to do better than that. I want to go back to Zach Gallen here. With what he's doing, is he the best pitcher in baseball right now? Well, right now, yeah, for sure. Four straight starts without giving up a run. Uh, that qualifies. You know, Sandy Alcantara uh, has not pitched nearly as well this year. He came back and pitched yesterday after he was scratched from his previous start. And, you know, he had a couple of very shaky outings before that. And uh, he was the Cy Young Award winner last year. And uh, so I think that's kind of where you start as far as at least certainly the National League. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, I guess the case can be made for Otani at this point. And, uh, yeah, he's, but he's only pitching every fifth or sixth, you know, five or six days off. And, you know, they've got uh, like a six-man rotation. I don't know what the hell the Angels are doing, but it's not like the first time I've said that. You know, they've gone through many managers, many general managers, uh, throughout the Mike Trout era and, quite frankly, before the Mike Trout era. And it's been a very long time since I have really understood what the hell the Angels are doing in anything. How about the Pirates? 8-1 to one over the Dodgers. The Pirates are now 17-8. and eight. Uh, Can we call this start from the Pirates the biggest surprise to the MLB season so far? It's surprising, but if people are buying it, they're foolish. Uh, the only chance that they have, they're in the they're in the division, which is extremely winnable. I think the Cubs have got some good things going for them, but I look at their top to bottom, and I can't imagine the Cubs pitching staff is going to remain healthy, just based on history with their a lot of their starters. 
you know, Tyone and Smiley come to mind immediately. Anybody think those guys are going to make 30-plus starts? I hope they do because I don't ever want to see anybody get hurt. But, unfortunately, they've been hurt a lot over the, over the years. I think Tyone's had two Tommy John surgeries, and Smiley's had at least one. And uh, so I don't think that that's going to continue. The St. Louis Cardinals, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, when you look at the Central Division right now, I think it, the, the biggest surprise is actually technically the Cardinals and how bad they have been. And you know, yesterday they sent Jordan Walker, and I'm necessarily I'm not, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with this, but the, the guy that was great in spring training was supposed to, you know, kind of be the you know the, the big surprise and the big rookie in Major League Baseball. They sent him to back to AAA yesterday. I think some of it has to do with service time, unfortunately, because that's the way that things work in baseball. But to me, the biggest surprise in that division is the fact that the Cardinals just aren't dominating and. Uh, you know, their lineup and their, you know, their tremendous defensive team, but their starting pitching is a mess. I think their manager is highly suspect. And uh, I thought that before this year. I thought that when they were good last year, in fact. Uh, Marmol seems to be a guy that's uh, either, quote, a puppet or completely in over his head or both. Yeah, you were right there about uh, the expectations for Jordan Walker heading into the season with him starting on the Major League roster. Uh, I think th- they were quite high, like rookie of the of the year conversation for him. Well, people, I guess, watch spring training. They think he's great. So I know he has like, I think he's part of the stack cast thing, too, because he hit every ball is hit hard and so forth. And, uh, you know, between him and Cruz talking about the Pirates, uh, I think this, this, you know, just the, People that are ranked highly in StatCast, they're not necessarily good baseball players. Uh, maybe they eventually will become good baseball players. You know, I've said many times, I think it's insane to actually think that Cruz is going to be a shortstop. He's not a particularly good shortstop right now, but he has a ridiculous, you know, you know, you know velo throwing the ball from shortstop to first base. He makes spectacular plays. He also, nobody pays attention to, does not make routine plays on a fairly regular basis, but he's a stat cast darling, so we're supposed to love him. The Astros beat the Rays yesterday 1-0. The Astros are now 14-11, and and the Rays are 20-5, and and they lost a couple of home games here in this series against the Astros. Well, I mentioned this, I believe it was yesterday. They're losing starting pitchers. Uh, I mean, they're really... You know, they were, you know, obviously the the Rays were the original, you know, opener. Uh, you know, they, they actually, the reason they went with the openers as far as a, quote, starting pitcher is they were out of starting pitchers a few years ago and just had no alternative. Well, this year, they actually began the season with six or seven legitimate starting pitchers, and now three of those guys are hurt. Yeah, Jeffrey Springs was the best of the bunch uh, as far as this year goes. McClanahan obviously is tremendous, but you know they've lost three of their you know, top four or five starting pitchers at this point, and they had to go back to an opener again yesterday because they're just out of guys. Uh, you have the Rays. They're back at it, though. Shane McClanahan on the mound for them. He's 4-0, 1.88 ERA, 37 strikeouts. They're going up against the White Sox. Dylan Cease, 2-0, 2.73 ERA and 34 strikeouts. Yeah, interesting matchup there. I mean, Dylan Cease is a guy who was really wrong about a couple of years ago. He was in a fantasy league, uh, and we traded him. That was my idea to trade him, and that was a pretty stupid idea. As it turns out, 
I think his numbers, some of his numbers, especially last season, his earned run average was extremely misleading because he led the he he, he led, I think he led baseball in most unearned runs allowed, which is not totally his fault because he's got such a bad defense behind him. But you would like to see a pitcher more than just occasionally be able to pitch over some of that bad defense and you know not give up a. You know, one bad defensive play and ended up giving four or five, giving up four or five runs in an inning, and that happened with Cease quite a few times last year. So he's got enormous talent. Like I said, I was completely wrong, and my apologies uh, uh, to my, you know, my my baseball, you know, fantasy baseball partner at that time, Scott Bordeaux, uh, for suggesting we trade him. And uh, you know, I'm sure Scott is still kind of uh, look shaking his head at what. Why did I listen to that idiot? Being me, being the idiot. <laughs> Last game I want to mention for today: Yankees at Rangers. Garrett Cole, four and zero, a zero point seven nine ERA, thirty six strikeouts, going up against uh, Andrew Heavenny, uh, two and one, four point three four ERA, twenty strikeouts. Yeah, I've actually like. I think a lot of people like Heaney, uh, Heaney a lot, but I mean he hasn't been able to stay healthy either, unfortunately. And he's part of a Texas rotation with several starters, whether it be obviously DeGrom or Heaney or whether it be Valdi, who uh, when these dudes are actually able to pitch, uh, which has unfortunately not been long-term very often in recent years, they're good. But, you know, I like the Rangers team. You know, I just can't imagine that their starting pitchers are going to stay healthy collectively for the entire season. They play really good defense. And that, uh, if you have a, a shaky starting pitching situation, that helps. I'm also not particularly fond of their bullpen at the moment. So, see, I don't, I don't believe in Jose Leclerc as a closer. Will Smith is on that team now, though, and uh, he's gotten some save opportunities. And I think that actually Will Smith should be getting the majority of their save opportunities until proven otherwise. The Diamondbacks are off today before they do start their three-game series against the Rockies. I am seeing that at least as of right now, probable pitcher to start Friday is Tommy Henry. He's getting another crack at it. Yeah, I'd, uh, you know how they you, know, you go to you know, if you go to games early and you see how batting practice and they have like a screen in front of the uh, you know, batting practice pitcher. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they can petition baseball to get a screen put ahead of uh, in front of Tommy Henry. Uh, I'm not a fan of. I just don't think he's a major league pitcher, uh, at least a starting major league pitcher, maybe a long reliever or something like that. But uh, we'll see. And hopefully the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, survive the weekend in Coors Field and their pitching staff survives. And uh, this is the kind of uh, you know the way that they've pitched so far this year. This is a thing that could have more than just a long, you know, short-term, three-day thing. This could be long-term if they just have to use everything. Bringing you the latest sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me, the Doug Gottlieb Show, 1 to 3 p.m. Wrapping up hour number one of Extra Point on this Thursday, April 27th. Bob Camp, Caleb Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. A reminder for you, the Sports Zone with Bob Camp tomorrow, 9 to 10, Extra Point. Uh, taking a day off, have some other company obligations to attend to. Um, as you have to save the company <laughs> playing golf is what you're doing here. Come on. Yeah, that that is happening. Pressure's on. 
on. It, it always on. is, every time, every yeah. time. Yeah. But uh, hopefully, we'll have some fun and and uh, see, make some lots of birdies. See, if you weren't a professional golfer, or in my case, if you weren't really good at anything at one point, I'd never, I'm never being, I'll never be put in any position to save the company. So there you go. <laughs> that's that's the advantage of being mediocre or worse than mediocre in most things. Yeah, that it means. really does ratchet up the uh, the the pressure meter for sure, especially when you like <laughs> don't get out and and play all that often. The the expectation level of you still being like as good as you once were ten years ago is like, ah, uh, this might be a little unrealistic. But well, here's a suggestion: you should let these people know after you know, after tomorrow when you save the face of the company again, is that you need some time off to go play some more golf. Now we're thinking, Bob. I like this. I like this a lot. Okay. I'm just trying. I'm always here to help. Uh, yeah. You know what? This is the best suggestion yet. <laughs> you may not think I'm always here to help. In fact, I'm guessing you probably frequently think that. But in this case, I'm really here to help. Speaking of golf, let's take a look at the Mexico Open at Vedante uh, on the PGA Tour. As we were talking about it yesterday, par 71, 7,456 yards. Odds on favorite, defending champion, having an incredible year so far, John Rahm. He's three under par through 17 holes. That's good enough for a tie for 13th right now. Steven Yeager, Eric Cole and Taylor Pendrith and Austin Smotherman are all sitting at six under par right now. Uh, when it comes to some of our guys that we're paying attention to, Nate Lashley's playing well. He's three under par through 15. Uh, then we also had Patrick Rogers. He's even through 14. He's got to get some birdies coming home. And uh, Augusta Nunez has yet to tee off. In the other player that, uh, you know, you had John Rahm in the top tier, then Tony Finau, and then you had pretty much everyone else. Tony Finau has yet to tee off as well, so he'll be in the afternoon wave of the Mexico Open at Vedante. Uh, on the other side of the break, we'll get started with hour number two. We'll get into the NFL draft. Round number one is today and your calls at 11.15 if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060. Hour two is next. 